Hello, it's Monday the 26th of June. I'm Miranda Sawyer, back from Glastonbury and surprisingly still able to read. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review where we hunt through the British papers to find the tastiest titbits, the meatiest scoops and the cherries on top, thus creating a full, disgusting dinner of news. We've got some lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts. One listener says about the show, just wish it were longer. And another, that they really enjoy listening whilst I go about my chores. I mean, who has time to read the papers these days? Well, we do. We're out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you won't miss an episode. Here are the headlines for today's show. Mad Vlad versus Bad Wag. Vladimir Putin and Wagner leader Yegevny Prigozhin have fallen out. Fergie's breast cancer op, Sarah Ferguson has surgery after being diagnosed with breast cancer and living on a jet plane. Man flies more than 23 million miles on a United Airlines lifetime pass. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, the show that bangs out the copy to stop the subs screaming. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and here to arm wrestle with the headlines with me today, it's historian and writer of Radio 4's History Secret Heroes, Alex von Tunzelmann. Hello, Alex. Hello. Also with us, we have comedian and hardcore opera watcher, <laughs> Athena Kublenu. <laughs> Hi, Athena. Hi, good morning. So, what have we got on the headlines front? Alex, what do you have? Well, um, a bit of a full sweep of Russian headlines. So in The Guardian, we've got Wagner Uprising reveals cracks in Putin's authority, says US. Uh, The iPaper has Putin silent on mutiny that rocked the Kremlin. Um, and over in the metro, uh, we've gone for a bit more comedy, a big picture of Prigozhin uh, looking very scary with treasons to be cheerful. Nice, mm. we like that. I'd also like to mention that over the weekend from the start, we had put in the boot in, which is pretty good, with mad, this is a kind of sub-headline, mad Vlad Scarpers as equally bonkers warlord starts coup and threatens Moscow, to which the only response is... Part life. (laughs) (laughs) Athena, what do you have? Um, I've got the mail in the mirror. The mail has led with Fergie in recovery after breast cancer op. Um, The mirror as well leads with this Fergie, my breast cancer op. The Daily Telegraph has led with something different. With Prince William, um, the headline is ending homelessness is my life's work says Prince. And he's looking lovely in blue. Slightly furrowed brow, right? I look, it looks like he means it. Like he's got a face on him which tells me he might be telling the truth. This is unusual. Okay, look, <laughs> Athena, um, should we discuss really quickly uh, Fergie? There's not many details really, is there? No, um, she obviously uh, caught something early, got it checked out, uh, seems to have had a successful operation, has to move back in with her ex. That yes. f- that's the, the bit for me that is like, <laughs> this is interesting. I would like to be a fly on the wall. I would. <laughs> I would like to be a fly on the wall. They've been living together for years. I mean, weirdly, they seem to get on really well. That family's messed up. Have you heard? <laughs> well, there are a few hints. You can't really imagine him kind of offering cups of tea, can you? It's not really his style. But, you know, maybe there are different ends of the wings. Um, uh, let's have a look at that Telegraph story then. So it's um, Prince William who's launching a new initiative. He did trail it a few, year, a few days ago and saying that he's going to end homelessness by what? Bringing all agencies together and saying go on then I just feel like so I feel like when you've got 500 spare rooms 
that's not the way you do it. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't just say, well, I'm going to end the homelessness. Great, William, what are you going to do? I'm going to let other agencies do it. And it's like, well, also, look behind you. You're standing in front of a palace. Like, you could probably just end it by just opening up your spare your spare rooms, a few sleeping bags. It's an odd one. Um, I thought ending climate change was his life's work, but he's got nothing better to do, so he can have several lives. Yeah, he's doing both. Works, can't yeah. he? <laughs> he's doing both. I mean, uh, his initiative is called Homewards. It's funded by three million pounds from his Royal Foundation's charitable arm. So he is kind of investing something, isn't he, Alex? Yeah, I mean, at least that's some cash. Um, I mean, I'm not sure three million is quite going to end homelessness, but, you know, it's a start, I suppose, you know. So, But, I mean, it's the royals are always on the search, you know, and we saw this with Prince Charles. Well, those of us who are very old saw this with Prince Charles. You know, they want a cause that is meaningful but non-partisan political right so that's why Charles has always gone for environmental stuff which obviously deeply cares about Um, and you know William has been obviously looking at climate change and so on as well but clearly he wants to make his own stamp so I guess that's what we're seeing you know who doesn't want to end homelessness Today's top story is the end of a bromance. Vladimir Putin falling out with Yevgeny Prigozhin, leader of the incredibly violent Wagner private military company that's been fighting for the Russians in Ukraine. Over the weekend, the Wagner guy, which is what I'm going to call him because I find him hard to pronounce, led his troops in what appeared to be a coup, taking over one Russian city called Rostov-on-Don and then marching on Moscow. But before they got there a truce was negotiated between Wagner Guy and Putin by the president of Belarus. So the coup was called off and uh, Prigozhin immediately moved to Belarus. That's as far as I've got. Alex, I am turning to you. But before we start, can we acknowledge that the Wagner Guy looks like the leader of the Chelsea Headhunters? He just needs a Stone Island jacket, right? (laughs) Well, well, I mean, these people are gangsters I mean, <laughs> sort of, you know um he he could be easily such a person in another life um so yeah i mean it's been an incredibly dramatic story and the outcome is i mean and certainly if you look through the papers today with all the pages and pages of analysis what becomes very clear very quickly is no one has a damn clue yeah. what is going on and you know they are all building assumptions based on some kind of pre-existing assumptions about Russia and also the assumption that rationality might be going on here, which is always a mistake when you're looking at these kind of political things, that actually it's it's not necessarily all clean, rational choices. There's probably quite a lot of emotion involved and chaos, yeah. I think a good level of chaos. It also seems a lot to be around personalities. So it's, it's, it's shifting of various kind of powerful men deciding what they they want to do within Russia, right? Because Putin's obviously the top guy. Then we've got Prigozhin, who is... Uh, who has been doing basically a lot of the work in Ukraine. And then there's two other military guys, isn't there, that he doesn't like. That's right. I mean, this goes back for years and years and years. So Yevgeny Prigozhin is, yeah, I mean, he is a gangster. I mean, he was uh, in prison for 10 years, kind of missed the end of the Soviet Union um, for violent robberies, armed robberies and that sort of thing, um, part of a criminal gang. Um, And that really kind of, but that laid the foundation really for the Wagner Group stuff because where he has been recruiting this private army is largely from prisons. He can talk to prisoners on a very one-to-one level because he, of course, has been there. Um, Meanwhile, you know, these. so he's been a very long-term ally of Putin um, 
at the same time, these other guys, so Shoigu and Gerasimov, who he really, Prigozhin really hates those guys. They are kind of the formal leaders of Russians, Russia's military. Uh, so Shoigu is the defense minister and Gerasimov is head of the army. So effectively, um, he what what's happened is that Prigozhin feels that Wagner Group will be taken away from him and incorporated into the Russian army. He wants those guys gone. It's a kind of struggle for power. And it's kind of unclear exactly what has happened. There's lots of hints in different papers as to what might have gone on. So, for instance, in the Telegraph, it says Russia threatened Wagner leaders' families, um, that possibly there was a you know threat to Prigozhin's family and maybe to some of the other you know leaders of the Wagner Group um, as well. And that's why the coup was called off. Right. Because- well, that might have stopped it. But also, you kind of think, would Prigozhin not have considered that and put his family somewhere safe beforehand? I mean, it's pretty obvious that's like the first thing that's going to happen. But who knows what the genesis of this was and how much planning was involved versus just chaos. So do you think that the papers can get any of it right? If they just if they're just kind of casting out their net and saying, well, it might be this, it might be that. I mean, who would you trust on this? Well, I wouldn't trust anyone. <laughs> I mean, you know, You're sounding like Putin. I'm sorry to sound like Putin. Um, I think they're all throwing uh, something at a wall, shall yeah. we say, and seeing what sticks. Um, and you know, they're all guessing. But I mean, I, I think there is, you know, it, and you see this with. I mean, I work on the history of the Cold War. And you can always see at the time something like the Cuban Missile Crisis. All the analysis in the West is based on assumptions, imagination assumptions of rationality, all sorts of things that are wrong. Years later, when the truth comes out, it's completely different. And it often is to do with personalities, isn't it? It's often just like people falling out. That's what I find quite weird about this story. What about you, Athena? What do you think? I think that I've seen lots of action movies and I've never seen a mercenary army in an action movie that doesn't rebel. For example, The Rock with Sean Connery and Nick Cage. Um, (laughs) Excellent movie. Yeah, exactly. And the mercenary army in that movie at the end, they're like, actually, we did it for the money. And it's like, of course you did. You're a mercenary private army. That's kind of part of the contract. So I'm surprised they didn't see this. And I would watch lots of Brooklyn kind of movies in future if I was Putin uh, before I hire a private army. And that is my expert analysis. Thank you. That's a very good Thank expert you. analysis, I have to say. I've got one more question for you, Alex, because you are our expert on this. OK, <laughs> so after after this coup ended and Prigozhin went off to uh, to uh, Belarus, what's going to have to happen to him though? Is he just going to have to look after, you know, check his food all the time because somebody's <laughs> going to have somebody's going to want to kill him if he's in exile in Belarus he's not very safe is I he I mean I would stay away from any windows if I were him that <laughs> yeah. seems to be a pretty common situation yeah those high balconies yeah those aren't, never those aren't those. good I mean well who knows what's going on and who knows what will go on from here I mean I think you know we're going to just sort of see how this plays out it's really unclear at the moment in that there were rumours that Shoigu had been fired for instance which is one of Prigogine's top demands well if that has happened that implies something totally different but then it's unclear that that has happened. I mean, so the whole thing at the moment is clear as mud. But also, sorry, just to say that Shoigu, Putin doesn't like him anymore. He was doing a mean girls thing to him just the other day. I saw that where Putin was normally, he stands next to Shoigu and says, like, this is my chum. And he completely blanked him and turned his back, which I would think, oh, my God, if I was Shoigu, I'd think, oh, my God, I'm literally dead. Well, I have to say, I think mean girls alongside the rock is actually an excellent tool for understanding (laughs) some of what's going on here. So, So so that's my recommendation is, I mean, those will give you about as much clear background as all the reports in the papers today. Meanwhile, shock horror, The Guardian has a fun story. 
Um, I know, it's unbelievable. I'm going to read the headline and then, Athena, you can tell us what's been going on. New Jersey man flies 23 million miles with lifetime United Pass like a sultan. Don't really understand what's going on. Okay, so in uh, in 1990, a man from New Jersey called Tom Stuker invested $290,000 did I read that outright? Yeah, I, I'm not used to big numbers. Inflation is—is is that the—is that the price of a plane ticket or ketchup? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but he thought I'm just going to buy an, an endless supply of flights, and I think it's a bit like all-you-can-eat restaurants that say eat all you can eat, and then someone eats everything, and they go, okay, well, eat all you can eat in 90 minutes, right? That's yeah. you need a caveat. Unfortunately, they didn't caveat this. No, yeah, um, and he did. I mean, he really went off, didn't he? He, he visited really... more than a hundred countries. And that he said the mileage in 2019 alone was more than six trips to the moon. Uh, <laughs> he's like those old pensioners with free exactly. bus passes and they just go circulating around the city they live in, but he's using the globe. I mean, good for him, but the, the food's not that good. I just don't... Are you surprised, Alex, that The Guardian hasn't turned this into a gloomy climate change story? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really am, because, you know, you could have sort of sold this guy as, you know, villain of climate going around doing all these miles. They have brought it in at the end. They've sort of said, you know... Uh, what about climate change? And he said, well, flights be going anyway. I'm just on them. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, a fair I, point. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, he could have hired a private jet and he didn't. Exactly. So he, he says he's helping. Yeah. So I he feel is. like he should just run his own DHL, but like a personal... You know, like if you're gonna, you know, just do. I just feel like he's just. Run, I don't get it. He's just going around the world. Like, like what are you doing? I he's mean, just... he's probably quite well off if like... he could afford two hundred ninety grand in nineteen ninety. Anyway, but I mean, yeah, I, I think you know, even the Guardian can't bring itself to be moralistic at this particular point. Partly because he just seems to have absolutely aced this one and taken down this corporation in such a big way and got such an advantage that we can't even be sad. Yeah, about no, that. we can't. We can. We can just celebrate him. Okay, um, Alex, you've got another headline there. What do you have? Yep, uh, this is in the Daily Mail. Uh, We've got uh, Rishi Sunak um, sitting down with BBC's Laura Koonsberg and the headline is Rishi tells families, hold your nerve on mortgage rates, pain. We will get through this. So, you know, I guess we're kind of wondering what we'd like to know is what holding your nerve looks like. You know, we're not in a game of blackjack here. We've got been sent a big bill and... You know, you sort of need to just pay it. I mean, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, well, I love the like the idea that it's the use of we that really yeah. makes me laugh about this. So he's basically saying we will get through this if we hold our nerve. I like, mean, what... paying a bill or not paying a bill is not a matter of nerves or cowardice. It's like, do you have the money? So it's like it's like the wrong axis. He's yep. talking along. Completely the wrong. And also there's a there's an element of it that makes me laugh because it's actually just about him. He wants to reduce inflation. I mean, he wants to reduce it. That's very nice of him. But he wants to reduce it because it's one of his pledges. So he's like saying, if you could all just hold your nerve, then inflation will go down and I can say, tick, I've I've ticked one of my boxes. I mean, it's it's completely yeah. ludicrous. You know what? Everyone, let's all. If you can't do something today, call the person you're responsible for and and who's expecting you to do something. Say, just hold your nerve. British Gas, hold your nerve. Okay, <laughs> I ain't got no money for you. Hold your nerve. <laughs> oh well, don't like it. Talk to Rishi. He's at the top. Okay, yeah. I find it extraordinary. It is. 
The paper's on just about awful wars and gloomy politics. There's fun stuff too. Features, football, telly, trends, advice and whatever the star has decided to turn into a sensation for our amusement. So what's caught our eye today? Athena. Shall we talk about Glastonbury? There's a lot of Glastonbury coverage, isn't there? I have a feeling that this is why there's no news. It's because basically all all the kind of features columnists are at Glastonbury. I can testify for this because I was there for two days and then, you know, ducked out. But, um, you know, the, the foreign correspondents are doing Russia, fair enough. And then all the normal inverted commas journalists are just at Glastonbury having a laugh. Everyone's at Glastonbury. Like, <laughs> literally everyone. Even every comedian is at Glastonbury. Why, why aren't I at Glastonbury? It's become the new... It's like it's like our cans. You know what I mean? It's like everyone goes to Glastonbury. And I, I can see why. It's, it's, it's a good little knees up, isn't it? Yeah, um, a long knees up, I have to say. <laughs> I, I walked 35,000 steps in one day. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Yeah. I was absolutely battered. OK, well, there's some nice stories, isn't there? The Lewis Capaldi story, I have to say, is really... Really lovely. Um, I mean, that was the crowd. Essentially, because he was so nervous and he's had a lot of problems with his uh, Tourette's ticking and his voice has been failing and he couldn't sing uh, someone you loved. And that was a moment, wasn't it? Because the crowd took over. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I wasn't there, uh, I'm afraid, but I was. I did watch the video of it online um, and it was actually incredibly moving. And I think, you know, it's perhaps speaks quite well of our understanding of mental health in this country that, you know, you kind of think even a few years ago, people might have been like, what the hell is happening? You know, maybe even being cruel about it or anything like that. And they weren't. The crowd were completely sort of behind him and lifted him up. And I thought that was, I I actually found it really moving. Yeah, I cried. I teared up a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was absolutely lovely. Yeah, I don't want to break news to you, but there's a a bit of a narrative that people who go to Glastow are just a bit annoying. (laughs) There's a narrative, you know, like, you know, media so-and-sos going to, wearing expensive wellies and just being just spend lots of money but actually people who go to Glasgow are lovely yeah after watching that. they're quite yeah. sweet yeah. they love each other what about Lana Del Rey so that is a story that I really liked so she was all set for to, for playing the other stage she was a headliner people really were excited and she was 30 minutes late because she was doing her hair <laughs> You know, which means camping's not for her. I mean, that's I mean, that's my conclusion. I don't know what you're doing at a festival. You need to be at the O2 with dressing dressing rooms and things like that. Because I'm not a camper, so I wouldn't ever play Glastonbury. They called me. I'd be like, oh mate, I'm, I don't do camping. Yeah, but so. they don't do camping. They're moving in. And out. I mean, unless they really want to do camping, stars literally are kind of ferried in and ferried out. And also, the main thing I thought about her hair is a beehive. Like mm. a beehive, I'm not being funny about it, put a wig on. Yeah. Like just yeah. literally put it on like a big hat. <laughs> like why Why would you spend all that time on your hair? Just put on your be- beehive like a big wig and crack on because she lost eight songs. Yeah, like, 30 minutes. Yeah, 30 <laughs> minutes. Long, including video games, which is what a lot of people have kind of came for. Yeah. But she sang that a cappella to the crowd, like to the first two rows. <laughs> No, we can really hear you. Why is there a curfew at Glass? It's in a field. What are the cows going? Get can you keep it down, please? It's literally the Conservative councillors. It's that is literally what it is. So they have to like if you don't pull the plug, there is no Glastonbury. One might one might argue a lot of the punters at Glastonbury are Tories anyway. So (laughs) (laughs) one might argue. So maybe more. (laughs) And then Elton John that has definitely made a lot of the front pages. A lot of him in his um, golden suit, isn't there? Mm. There Um, is. Um, and, they, and it appears to have been a banging set. What did you think? I thought it was banging. I think Elton's the best of British. Doesn't doesn't care about nothing. Does what he likes, when he likes, does what he likes. Fully opinionated man. Uh, love, love him to bits. I love the fact he brought his mates on. He could have bought all these A-listers. It was like, no, I'm going to bring on all the people who I've supported because they're going to be the next generation. Um, I, 
I will hear no Elton slander if there's any Elton slander about to come out, which I think there isn't. I think there isn't. But I just want to set that up. But he's amazing. I love Elton, and good for him for this being his swan song. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it. it won't be his swan song. He'll do. I mean, he just won't give it up. But I have to say, I mean, amazing amount of bangers. I mean, everyone was yeah, yeah. a winner. Like every song, everybody knows, and that's what you want for a, a Glastonbury headliner. I think really. Okay, Alex, you have quite an interesting story, I think, about a slightly lame pizza guy. Yes, um, <laughs> this is from The Telegraph. Uh, our headline is Chef Blames Stolen Olive Oil After Losing World Pizza Competition. And this is a British chef called Danny Child. Uh, the name might strike you as nominative determinism when you get through this story. So he, um, bless him, this guy became um, a, a restaurateur during the pandemic. He's learnt to make pizza. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm a terrible cook and I can make pizza. Well. Anyway, he went to the Pizza World Championship in Italy. Italy, um, and he came out of 429 people he came 429 which is an achievement <laughs> so, you know the best of British talent here um, but he says the reason uh, was that he got in he left his olive oil out on the counter and then he came back and it was gone um, so somebody stole it but there were some other problems that he also brought up such as the oven wasn't hot enough didn't have a proper paddle a wooden paddle he didn't have the right clothes he'd worn black instead of chef's whites so he was all covered in flour and looked a bit silly so he said that was a problem too um, and you know so there's a lot of excuses he also decided to go like he decided to kind of go off piece didn't he so instead of saying okay I'm just going to make you straightforward margarita which you would do in Italy wouldn't you wouldn't really go very fancy he suddenly goes oh no I'm going to use the local honey I'll pour a bit of that on I mean it's just amateurish. I mean it's a bit mad well I mean he his own quote I think tells you a lot of what's gone on here um, he told the Financial Times uh, the Italians killed everyone I slung in some pizza spotted those guys and then went off to drink beer and sulk they're just so good they don't have to go on Google or watch YouTube to check that what they're doing is right so I think that perhaps tells us something about the level that we're talking about here but I mean you know bless him for trying covered you, in flour do you think it actually tells us something about British exceptionalism <laughs> I can't just rock up to a pizza competition in Italy not bother you know yeah. you, should have have stuck, you should have just stuck some Chicago town in a microwave yeah. <laughs> here you go guys and they're so small you can cook two at once yeah. like you know you'd have been better off honey on a pizza yeah I mean, so wrong so so wrong um, Athena, you have a really interesting story, which is in the Express. We were looking for this story to be covered, weren't we? Oh. And we were trailing through the newspapers, and the only place that we found it was actually the Express. The Express. So I'm just, I'm, I'm having to touch the Express right now. I'm going to have to yeah, wash my hands thoroughly. It's all right. After it's all, they're all inky, it's, really. Yeah. So what's the <laughs> headline? The headline is a dream believer. Zarnell's nine eighty-three eclipses Christie. Nine point eight three seconds is a big thing for a British sprinter, and no one really cares. And yeah, nobody knows his name, so I'm going to say it. Again, Zarnell Hughes, he just broke the 100 metres record, which has stood for 30 years yeah. with 9.83 seconds It's in older New than York. the internet. It's basically, <laughs> it's almost as old as the internet. Um, Why do you think this hasn't been a bigger story? Because that is a massive story. There are lots of, there's, a, there's a, a wider conversation to be had about how athletics has kind of gone down the pecking order of the sports we like. I think, I mean, there's lots of drugs issues in the sport, as we know. We've not been very... Uh, other than Mo Farah, you know, we haven't really had anyone who's like world class. We had Jess Ennis as well. But in terms of like consistent world class performers, you haven't had that. And as as a country, we just we just want that now. We just want gold, maybe silver. Um, we want personalities. Mo Farah, big personality. Jess Ennis, big personality. Zano Hughes, 
I, I mean, swimming's always lovely, but it's like they're not really promoting them in the way they used to. Then there's a, a wider conversation about athletics and how it's managing certain political issues, which is not. It's like, you know, and it's a real shame. Who runs the fastest? Guys, this is the greatest whatever. Who can jump the, the longest? Who can jump the highest? Who can throw this the furthest? Like, this is like the most primal competitive arena like our, our primal competitive instincts are all um, represented in athletics I don't know why it has it is not as big as it is and hopefully this is just a small spark that starts everything up again we've got the world championships in Budapest coming up in, in, in later on this summer so hopefully this starts up a bit more interest because it's such a great sport and I'm really happy this happened for him yeah it's fantastic it's absolutely great so Zarnell Hughes we are pro him mm. he's a champ and Alex you've got another story it's like another story you had another story from the newspapers telling women what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. What's this one? Yes, in the Telegraph, um, the home of what women should and shouldn't be doing stories, Mm -hmm. there is rosé all day culture drives female binging. Phrases such as wine o'clock may be behind a rise in the number of women struggling with binge drinking. <laughs> Apparently, we are so dumb that if you say wine o'clock, we immediately just have it. Um, I mean, this, as a historian, like you can literally go back to the... Um, early 19th century and every year you will find a story in the papers that says now women are drinking, now drinking is a problem. Women's drinking historically is always associated with a bad form of drinking. So what this is really is an extremely old trope being recycled to shame us again today. It is unbelievable, although I have to say there was a, there was a, a point in that... Um in that story that did make me laugh they were like okay women who are 35 now are like massively binge drinking they're binge drinking more than people did in the 90s and I thought are they? Are they really? Did you see the 90s? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, I know that sounds really terrible, but I see people binge drinking. I think, great, you know, do it while you're young, get it over and done with, and then, you know, then live your life. You know, who who cares? Live your life. But it doesn't seem to be worse than it was in the 90s. No, I feel like in the 90s, um, barefoot women on the high street was way more common. <laughs> that was a very 90s thing. It's n- yeah, take it's your heels evening. off, throw, uh, them yeah. in, throw them into the evening and off you go. I feel like we've improved. I'm really proud of how far we've come, to be honest. <laughs> I did see an abandoned pair of shoes, uh, ladies' shoes with a broken heel on the way into oh, the office so this morning. So, that makes me happy. So one person is still at it. Um, <laughs> but yes, and of course what they've done to like really enhance the shame and this is why women drinking is always a problem is link it with motherhood people are waiting longer to start a family because um, well, we're so drunk because we're so drunk <laughs> oh, all no. times and oh, then <laughs> data shows as though that getting drunk wasn't always the basis of starting a family in the first I mean really how do you think we're going to get pregnant and then, you know, <laughs> um, data also show that childless women who have delayed motherhood those sad people mm. are most likely to binge drink but mothers are also at risk I mean my god nothing can make me binge drink like looking after some kids for a day I'll be honest <laughs> it is amazing isn't it the moral aspect the moral aspect that's we that's woven through is no just discussion of what the statistics might be for uh, men or fathers literally mm. not even mentioned more to the point there's no mention of Prosecco uh, which makes me think this isn't a well-researched article at all. Yeah. Um, if, if you're going to talk about all day drinking and not mention Prosecco, you've not done your research. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. They've not been to Ascot even, have they? <laughs> I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeeda Varsi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. 
I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming to the end of today's edition, where it's time to big up the best of the headline writer's arts. What are our headlines of the day? What do you have, Athena? Um, we've got a great one in the star. The House of Commons are hiring a bartender. With They're going to have a specific job, this bartender. They're going to be able to tell which politicians are so drunk they've got to be taken out of the bar. Wow. You know, so someone, basically, <laughs> you got taxi for X, basically. So that a person is going to be trained into identifying drunkenness. Um, and their headline is uh, MPs, we're short one bar steward. Get it? Bar steward. Bar steward. Bar steward. Okay. It's not, I don't know what, what the word bastard has to do with that, I think. <laughs> just, just the MPs are just, a bit annoyed about it. it. Yeah, um, but very pleased. And I would like someone like that to follow me around. Because <laughs> <And laughs> you're me one know. of them binge drinkers. <laughs> and then before, before I hire a personal stylist, I'll hire someone someone who's had too much to drink. Um, okay, and another one you've got? Yes, we've got The Mirror. This is about uh, Kevin Peterson, who is championing a new style of cricket to play cricket in a wild way, in a free-spirited way, in a crazy way. And the headline is um, KP Nuts About Basball. There you go. I like the KP Nuts. Yeah. That's very good. And um, Alex, what do you have? Uh, we've got a in the mirror, a promotional shot of um, Margot Robbie, who, of course, is appearing very soon in the Barbie movie. She is wearing a sort of little pink uh, kind of cohorts um, with a ha- pink handbag next to a pink car, uh, all looking very glamorous. And the headline is, therefore, I'm pink, therefore I'm glam. Like that, I like that, very good. And you have another one, right? I know, I've got a dirty one uh, from the star who are really delivering today as usual. So this is actually a pretty extraordinary story about an unfortunate gentleman who had what is described as a penis padlock. Now, there isn't a photograph, so I can't tell you exactly how this works. Um, But unfortunately, uh, he was wearing it, but his ex-girlfriend had the key. So when they broke up, that was bad news. Couldn't unpadlock So he's wearing it for quite a while. Eight months. Um, And and then, uh, basically, he... um, he had to find a specialist tattooist and piercer to to remove said padlock for him, which I'm afraid was done. It had gone quite rusty, apparently. And the piercer said, very carefully, we put the key in the place and gave it a couple of hits with the hammer. I assume that's the key, not the penis, I hope. A yep. uh, bit of a leg-crossing story. The headline is, I really need a cocksmith. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Athena. Thank you. And thanks to Alex. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and a definitely better than the Arctic Monkeys review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show for more adventures in the bizarro world of our national press. The links are in the show notes. I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when a donkey celebrated it's 166th birthday 53 years in human years he has a cup of tea with one sugar lump every day long term health fans see you next time